This week, um, as you can see on the screen, is entitled Christmas and Hanukkah, Dependent, Not Independent. Yes, you can. So let's, uh, let's start with uh, John chapter 10, verse 22. Now is the Feast of Dedication. So if I was saying that in Hebrew, I would say Akshav Hanukkah. Now is the Feast of Dedication. It was the Feast of Hanukkah in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And uh, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, Now, how long do you keep us in doubt if you are the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then of course... We go to Matthew chapter 1. Let me read in verse 6. Ma Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, let's uh, actually read in 18. Now, the birth of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Christ, was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Amen? Lord, we just come before you during this season of light, this season of dedication, this season of miracle, this season of the birth of Emmanuel, God who is with us, Yeshua, Jesus, the one who is God is salvation, Lord. And we just pray that our hearts and our minds and our spirits would just be open to receive what you're teaching us today. Amen? Amen. So, next slide, please. <laughs> so, well, we have here, right, two, two holidays. Um, on the left, obviously, a representation of, uh, of Hanukkah. And on the right, a representation of the manger of Christmas. And so, right, Christmas, uh, this, a story and a truth of Emmanuel, God with us, coming to earth, of course. And a story then of Hanukkah, the story of light, a story of uh, dedication um, and many of us know about the, uh, the story of, of Menorah as, as a story of miracle of, of lights, but we're going to find out today, uh, with it being connected with, in, in, with Christmas in many regards, that it's really a, um, a holiday of not just light and miracle, but really a holiday of defiance, 
uh, a holiday of defiance of uh, a refusal to assimilate into the mass culture uh, that is around them. And so these two holidays, 150 years apart, are not mutually exclusive. They're actually highly um, dependent upon one another, and they're not independent in their spirituality, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so when we study both of these together, we actually are able to understand the maximization of the power of the gospel and the testimony of light coming to planet Earth. There's really like a convergence that happens when we study both. Hanukkah is a celebration, as I've said, of light and of miracle and, in fact, of also defiance. Uh, But when one observes Hanukkah or one studies Hanukkah without the understanding of the birth of Emmanuel... There's a lacking in the fulfillment of the prophetic utterance of light, of miracle in the presence of God. Come on. And so that happens when, when, when people on planet Earth may be observing the, the, the beautiful, powerful story of Hanukkah, but they're not understanding the birth of light coming to Earth. Amen? Amen. But what's also interesting here is if we, if we take a look at the celebration of Christmas, which, you know... All of you guys, I'm sure, do, and the vast majority probably do, without a filtering and understanding of the story of Hanukkah. Uh, a celebration of the Savior, Emmanuel, light of the world coming to the earth. But what happens here is if we study and worship and understand Christmas, without the understanding of Hanukkah, we have a problem. And so we can go to the next slide, please. I'm going to argue this really today. Uh, Christmas without the lesson of Hanukkah can run the risk of Christmas being demeaned to a mere cultural holiday. Because Hanukkah is about defiance. Not allowing the majority culture to pull you into their culture. That's good. I don't know if anyone like, has their head in the sand or not. But the majority culture of the United States of America is not born-again, spirit-filled believers. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not. It's not. And so we have a majority culture out there that wants to demean Christmas. They want to demean the coming of the Son. They want to demean Emmanuel. And that's the way we are going to go as a minority culture in a more dominant culture if we do not understand the concept of Hanukkah concept of defiance. That's good. Come on. We don't talk about defiance too much in the church because it has a, an element of you know, maybe being violent. I'm talking about being spiritually defiant. Come on. So there's a lot of funny things going on here, right? Uh, John chapter 10. During the feast of Hanukkah. If we go to the next slide, please. During the feast of Hanukkah, Jesus is walking around Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. This is a a, uh, a, a model that you can actually go see. It's like a miniature model that you can actually walk around uh, in Israel. They have this really cool layout. Uh, architects would love it. It's built to, this, you know, to, a, to a scale of what Jerusalem would have looked like during the times of, of Jesus. And so it says that he's walking around the porch or the colonnade or the portico, depending on the translation, of Solomon's temple right outside of the gate of the Gentiles. And he's there. And it says it's during the Feast of Dedication. It is during, essentially, somewhere around uh, December, because this is the time for it. Where Jesus is actually going to reveal who, who he is. I don't know if you guys realize that, but the, 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 the priests and the Pharisees go up to him and say, Are you the Son of God? And he says, I've already told you this. 
Like the word's already out. I don't have to say it again. But you don't hear because you're not of my sheep. And so the best of my uh, recollection, I think, in fact, John chapter 10, the celebration of Hanukkah, is the first, I believe, mass public representation and and declaration that I am who you say that I am. He chooses to do it during a holiday where everyone is remembering about rededicating, re-sanctifying the temple of God. And here he is, the one who's going to say, we are sanctifying your temple. Wow. That's what's happening here. And so it's uh, very powerful. I'm sorry I'm a little off today because I don't have my little clicker. Can you imagine that? And I don't have my thermos because I lo- left it here last week. And so my thermos is in here. My, you know, all my security blankets are not here. Okay. St- it's still throwing me off a little bit. All right. So Jesus reveals his identity. My sheep hear my voice. And I'm sure since we live in the Northeast, whether you have been practicing Hanukkah throughout your life or you have not, you've learned about it in elementary school. I don't know if they do this down in Texas or not, but like up here, a uh, large Jewish population, so schools are paying attention and discussing these things. Um, but, you know, a lot of the things that we think of is like, oh, the dreidel, right? You spin a little dreidel, you get a little candy, and it's a little gambling game, and oh, it's not cute. But people don't understand what's really going on. Why did that little game come to fruition in this holiday? It's because the Greeks show up in the year 150 B.C. A guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, he's a Greek emperor, comes marching into Israel. We have to understand here is epiphany, Greek word. Like we talk about like when you have an epiphany or the epiphany of, of, of an angel coming to earth or Jesus being born. The understanding of epiphany is a divine revelation. This guy Antiochus believes that he is a God-man. To be worshipped. And he comes rolling into the worst place that a God-man can go, and that is to a people that believe in one true God. And he comes moving in with his army, and he's like, all of you guys, all the people living in Judea, you need to worship me. I am one of the gods. Right? Uh, And and he does horrible things. He he, he murders uh, Jewish people who do not listen. um, Feeds them to the dogs. Um, he is going to do things like if you are Jewish uh, and you have a male, you're not allowed to circumcise the male because that is a sign of being Jewish according to the text. You can't do that because the Greeks thought it to be disgusting and cruel and, and, and horrible. It's funny, in the city of San Francisco, you're not allowed to give your child a circumcision underneath health insurance. So health insurance is actually backing out saying you guys have to pay for yourself because you don't have the consent of the son. Yeah, in the city of San Francisco. Yeah, It's crazy. It's like that times a thousand, right? So I know like when we, were, when we had our, our third, they were saying like, are you going, if it's a boy, are you going to circumcise? If so, you should like make arrangements because some health insurance companies won't pay for it because it's considered like cruelty, right? So the Greeks saw it as cruelty. Like, how can you do this, blah, 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 you know? And the Jews are like, well, because God told Abraham to do it, so we're going to do it. And he's like, no, you're not, and you're going to worship me. And so what happens here, he goes on to say is that you're not allowed to even study your Torah. You're not allowed to study the, the, the Bible. If so, you're going to be killed. And so the Jewish people, what they're going to do is they're going to be in places and they'll be studying the, the Torah, the, the Bible. And if they seek, they have lookouts. If Greeks come, are coming, they hide the scrolls, they pull out the dreidel, and they start spinning and playing them. So it looks like they're gambling. Wow. Which the Greeks are like, hey, gambling, cool. Studying the word of God, of your God, not cool. 
So the dreidel comes about as a way to fool the Greeks. Like, we're really studying the scriptures, but when you're around, I put the scriptures away and I start gambling. They're not really gambling. They're just using it until the Greeks walk away, and now they study the word of God again. Guys, punishment of death. I don't know if I got my Bible out on my desk at work, because who knows? I mean, we're talking about punishment of death. Um, we know the story probably of the, of, the, of the lights, right? The menorah. You know, eight, eight nights of Hanukkah. A ninth candle being the servant candle that's going to light all the other candles. Uh, and so the eight nights, right? You're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, there's this miracle. There's only like enough oil for one day and then it lasts for eight days and uh, you see some funny things on social media, like to equate that to the modern world, it'd be like, you know, your iPhone has 10% battery charge, but then it lasts, you know. Have you, have you guys seen that? There's, there's so much more to it than that. It's like, why, why eight days? Why a need for eight days? Like, why, why not four days? Why not three days? Like, what's the significance that they need it for eight days? See, what's going on here is the, the menorah is, is a candle or a lampstand in the temple of God. You don't have oil in the temple, you can't, you can't function in the temple. Like, you need light in the temple. That, you, you remember all the stories, like, and it cannot go out? Well, the, it's gone out. And now they only have, like, one oil left, uh, one thing of oil left, if you will. And so what happens here is this. You need to purify the temple. Why do you need to purify the temple? Because the Greeks, Antiochus, comes in to the Holy of Holies with a pig. Sacrifices a pig on the altar of Yahweh. I mean, a pig of all things, like an unclean animal in the eyes of, of, of Judaism, right? The unclean, making that which is clean, the unclean is what's going on, right? And they, he worships. He tells the people to worship him and to worship all the Greek gods and all this kind of stuff. And now, now Jews are like, man, like we can't offer up sacrifices here until this temple is re. Dedicated, hence the name Hanukkah, coming from the Hebrew root word Hanukh, which means to dedicate. And that is actually the same root as to educate, which we talked about a couple months ago, right? To dedicate is to educate, to educate is to dedicate, right? Be careful what you're educating yourself in, because what you educate yourself in is what you dedicate yourself to, right? And these people are dedicating and educating themselves in the Word of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful holiday. The Greeks have defiled the temple. We need to purify. We need to purify the temple for eight days to make it clean again so we can worship the Lord again. Uh, people talk about, uh, well, okay, another element, obviously, is, uh, you know, the mench on the bench. I don't know if you... It's kind of the counterpart, like instead of an elf on the shelf, it's a mench on the bench. You know, you know uh, how, uh, gifts, right? Eight nights of gifts. Adam Sandler, right? Eight crazy nights, right? Um, the, the really interesting thing here is uh, in Israel, they're, they're, yeah, no, no real gift giving. Right, some people say, oh, well, Hanukkah is kind of like the Jewish Christmas. Well, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, you got the, the giving of gifts and stuff. But in Israel, uh, yeah, you, they're not giving gifts. And in Israel, yes, it's a celebration of the miracle of lights. But more importantly, it is a representation and a holiday that we defied. Come on. We defied a dominant culture. We did not become Greek on that day. Come on. We did not get absorbed into the nations on that day. We are still distinct. 
We're still a distinct people. We still worship our God. We still speak our language. We still live in the land of our families. Defiance. Come on. It's powerful. Oh, defiance and what? Well, a defiance that a, 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 a couple of different things that they defied the largest and most powerful military on planet Earth at the time, which is absurd. Absurd. A small little army in a small little podunk area on the further outreaches of the Greek Empire in the year 150 BC was able to thwart off and keep away the most powerful military the world has seen at that point. That's unbelievable that a smaller military can defeat a larger military. But what's also the element of defiance is that we are sons of God, we will not be wiped out, and we will not succumb to the dominant culture of the world. We will not do that. And so in Israel today, it's like, it's like that's, that's what's being lifted up. And so if we go to the, the, the next slide, it's probably one of the most awesome photographs I've seen in history. Hamburg, Germany, 1931. Do you see what's out in, 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 outside of the, the Jewish home? You see that in the background, right? It's a Nazi flag. And this Jewish family, during the story of Hanukkah, is like, oh, it used to be the Greeks, now it's the Nazis, I shall be defiant. Now, next slide. The banner says Israel dies, but Israel will live forever, responds the lights. We have to get this in the church. Be defiant against the culture. I shall not succumb to your power. I shall not become like you. Come on, man. But we can't understand that. Amen. Because Starbucks talks about peace and joy and merry. But Hanukkah says, be defiant. Your sons and daughters of the Most High God. Called to be different. Called to be a priesthood. When they come together, watch out. Because when you have the light of the Lord and the Mashiach, the Son of God, and you're also being defiant to the culture, and you're saying, this is who I am, I'm unique, I'm different, that's the way it's going to be. Watch out hordes of hell because you have, you have, you have nowhere to go. Amen? So powerful. And it speaks through history. I was reading this the other night in preparation. Let me go to the next slide, please. Uh, December 1777. At his new headquarters at Valley Forge, next slide, please. George Washington um, sees a Jewish soldier lighting the menorah. This is crazy. So for those of you uh, history folks that uh, don't know what's going on here, or not history folks, I should say. Uh, Valley Forge in 1777 is like the, one of the pivotal moments of the American Revolution, right? It's not too far from here. It is the, the colonialists, the Americans, I mean, we're up against the rope. They have to pull back from the battlefield. They have to spend the winter in Valley Forge. It's very cold. Uh, guys are getting frostbite on, on their toes because their boots are wearing out. Uh, the leadership is like, oh my gosh, like, we're, we're, it looks like we're going to lose this thing. It looks like it's going to be over. Um, everyone who signed uh, the Declaration of Independence, um, if we lose this war, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Ben Franklin, you know, Mason, all the guys, Madison, all the, what would happen to them is that they would, they would be taken on a boat, sent to London, uh, and they would not get a quick beheading. They would be quartered, which means that before the king, all of them, each individual, would get each limb 
a rope would be tied to their limb, it would be tied to four different horses, and go. The horses would rip their limbs out, and then, after that, they would be beheaded. That's revolution, people. You say you want a revolution. No, this is a revolution. You're going to get, you're not going to die. You're going to have that happen to you. I don't want to say it again because my little daughter is here, right? But that's what's going to happen. And they're in Valley Forge. And the great General Washington is like, uh oh. And in his memoirs, in his own hand, he says he's walking down the paths in the camp and he looks off to the left to one of the few Jewish families in America at the time, and he writes this. Next slide. Perhaps we are not as lost as our enemies would have us believe. I rejoice in the Maccabees' success, though it is long past. It pleases me to think that miracles still happen. Come on, come on, come on, man! This like this like two thousand year old holiday. A little young soldiers out to lighten the candles in the snow. And Washington is, I remember the story of the Maccabees. Because he's an educated man. He's reading about it. And he's like, this is, this, is, this is encouraging me that miracles still happen. Uh, ne- next uh, slide, please. So really interesting here is uh, at West Point. At West Point, there's actually a statue uh, that is erected uh, to Judah the Maccabee, who's the leader of, the, of, of the, the, the revolt. And it's a testimony of a couple things. One, it's a testimony of how a lesser force can defeat a greater force with the power of guerrilla warfare and the power of a home front and people that are supporting it, right? Uh, but there's also essentially there, it's also there as a reminder Uh, That we are a people in America, and I'm trying to encourage you today, believers in the Son of God, that you are a people of defiance. I don't mean rebellion, per se, in a spiritual sense, but I mean, like, you you are called to be defiant. And here's, here's the thing, if you're an American citizen, it's running in your bones, it's in your blood, it's in your DNA, it's what made us us. And if you're a believer, it's what you're called to. And so, okay, what is this thing? What is this thing that, that we call assimilation? To assimilate means that you and your culture blend into the greater culture and it essentially disappears. It's gone. And so defiance is the opposite of assimilation. And assimilation is the opposite of defiance. In fact, assimilation is someone who avoids being defiant. It's too much. I don't want to do it. I'm just going to blend in with everyone else. So assimilation is essentially is the avoidance of being defiant. The, uh, the testimony of the American people is that we are a people that were defiant. Come on. I don't know if we're so defiant anymore. We might be the opposite. I think we, I think we just kind of uh, go along and we, and, and we conform and we become a part and we bow. But that's not who we were. In fact, uh, Ben Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson were designing this, the presidential seal of the United States. The other founding fathers were like, this is too crazy. We're not having this as the seal of the United States. But Franklin... Jefferson Adams is like, we want this to be the seal. Can, can we go to the next slide, please? 
Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. <laughs> rebellion to tyrants. Can you imagine like the President of the United States speaking and on front is the seal of the great United States and on that seal is, is rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God? <laughs> to rebel, to defy ty- tyrannical view. And I think, we, I think we need to make this spiritual, guys. There is a tyrant. A tyrant for your soul, man. Accuser of the brethren. The person is saying that you're enslaved to sin, that you're always going to be joined to sin, and that you're not worthy, you're not good enough. It's time to defy that. Amen. Come on, there. Next slide. You are not descendants of weak nor fearful men. We need, to remind, we, need to like, we need to like flat out remind ourselves of this. Like, you are not descendants of fearful men. That's good. They defied an oppressor. Not only did they defy an oppressor, man, you just think about how your family got here. Like, you take a moment, you're like, all right, how did my ancestors get here? Like, largely, it's like, I'm going to go to a new country where I do not know the language and I do not know where to live and I do not have a job, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go anyway. That is the opposite of fear. That is, I am going to accomplish it. It's very, very powerful, and it's inside of us. And so what we have here is this, right? To assimilate is when a minority culture succumbs to the influence of the majority culture. And if we can have the uh, Mario come on down, please. I want to say this to us today. Uh, there, there needs to be a holy defiance. Next slide, please. There needs to be a holy defiance in the church again. Our culture is not what it used to be. It's not. Okay. Okay. It's time to defy. If you live in America, you're not used to this. If you're a Jew in Germany, it's your normal life. In fact, if you're a Jew throughout the world and throughout history, that's just the way it's always been. And if you're a Christian, it's not the way it's been since, I don't know, since essentially Constantine makes you know, Christianity the legal religion of Rome in the year 312. If, you've been in, if you're a European, you have not seen... Yourself as a minority culture since essentially the year 312. I mean, that's, that's literally over 1,700 years ago. Right? And so as the world goes, it says the church follows 20 years out. Whatever the world approves of today, 20 years later, the church meets it. Wherever the world goes, 20 years later, the church gets there. Come on, just, just listen to the church these days. Listen to them on, on issues of uh, 
of issues of, uh, of abortion. Listen to some churches on how they view about homosexuality. Where the world goes, 20 years later, the churches catches up. It's time to be defiant. And so looking at this season right now with Christmas, come on, man. Our culture is saying that uh, Christmas is about gifts. But it's not about gifts. And Christmas is not about the elf on the shelf. And Christmas is not about Starbucks Christmas blend. And surely it's not about Black Friday. I'm even going to tell you, it's not about joy. And it's not about just being merry. And it's not about peace. What it is about is the resurrected son. The author and finisher of my life. The pure, spotless, resurrected lamb of God. Emmanuel, God who is with us. It's not about joy. It's not about happiness. It's about the one who gives you the joy. He's the one who is the Prince of Peace. But the world just wants to demean it to a time of family and a time of rest and a time of having friends over. And it seems to be so good. It seems to be so okay. No, it is not. To defy, you have to first understand that you are a minority. And you have been called to be a minority. You've been called to be a peculiar people. That's essentially a minority people. A holy priesthood. A sacred people. Sacred is to be sanctified. And what is the definition of being sacred? It means to be set apart and different. So the very fact that we are a holy priesthood means that we're a people that are supposed to be different. And if you're different, you're not normal. If you're not normal, it means you're a minority. And your culture is a minority. You get what I'm saying? I am telling you it is time to not just be defiant, but actually to be wholly defiant. This is not like you go to the store, and please hear my heart, this is not you going to the store and someone says happy holidays and now you're a jerk about it. That is so minimal. That is so ridiculous. They don't know. It's not like being defined as like, don't say happy holidays to me, say Merry Christmas to me. That's just you being not nice. What I mean holy defiant, I mean be defiant against your flesh. What I mean holy defiant, I mean be defiant against the spirit of the world. Be defiant against sin. Be defiant against the flesh that wants to raise itself up. The culture of this world wants to diminish the power of the resurrected king. Next slide, please. And defiance is really defined as this. Open resistance, bold disobedience. Open and bold. This is not like a small thing. This is not like just a subtle thing. What it is, is a very bold and open thing. It is you flat out being a minority. It's you like, I'm going to be different and if they come and take me and put me in prison one day, they do. If they kill me one day, they do. If it is like, okay, if I have to fool people and I'm really reading the Bible on my phone instead of listening to the compliance of the state, so be it. But what we're getting at here is what's more powerful in America is not the compliance by the state, it's the compliance of the culture. 
That's what, how America rules. It's the compliance, the subtle compliance, the sweet compliance of your culture saying just demean it to this. It's funny, man. The, the, the church has been looking so long for like the Antichrist to pop up. The church has been looking so long to have this Orwellian future of, 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 of the church that like the government's going to come and take everything away. And while your eyes are on that, you've lost sight of what's really happening. You don't need a government to take your faith away. You have a culture that is compelling you to be like them. And how sweet it has become and how subtle it has been. You don't need a government that says you can't be a Christian. You have a culture that says don't do it. You look weird. That is so much more powerful. For you literature people there, that's more like Aldous Huxley, right? The notion that what we love will destroy us, not what we hate. And what we love is acceptance. What we love is being a part of America. What we love about it is about being a part of the American culture. You, we love it so much, it destroys the spirit and the flame of God that resides inside of us. That's so good, Come on, man. It's time to get defiant. Because we're a defiant people. The Constitution of the United States was a defiant document. The Declaration of Independence was a defiant document. The Founding Fires were defiant. But more importantly, Jesus is defiant. And the Apostles were defiant. Romans 12, 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so now, this Christmas... This Hanukkah, next slide please, as we take a look at the convergence of the two, we see light and a miracle of light and a miracle of defiance. And a miracle of saying, I want to be different. My culture is not going to be snapped up to be destroyed by the Greeks. Without the coming of life as a babe, as Emmanuel in a manger, there's a convergence that's happening. The child Emmanuel who came to make you different. To change the world and to change the world through you. Hanukkah, open rebellion. A lot of churches forget this. But Jesus came in open rebellion. Open rebellion against the power of sin. He defied things. He defied sin. He defied sickness. He defied lameness. He defined blindness. And he defined death itself. Death, where is thy sting? Talito kumi, rise up little one. Spitting on mud, putting in someone's eyes, and they're healed. He defies what the world says is supposed to happen. And so, you know, in preparation for all of this, to think about this, I've got to be honest, I'm just, I'm growing sick and tired. I'm growing sick and tired of a church that is okay with sin. And I'm sick and tired of a church that's okay with apathy and laziness, which is sin. Laziness and apathy is a sin, and I'm growing tired of seeing it in my life. Not being committed as much to be a people in a culture of defiance. I, I, really, I really want to come to a place in the Lord where I'm really defying, the, defying flesh, and I'm defying sin, and I'm defying the spirit of the world. 
And it's so possible and it's such the call. I mean, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. The authority that we have in him in these regards to defy these matters of the flesh is unbelievable. Ephesians 6.16 In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the darts of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divine. Divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds, ways of thinking, the way of being, the way of culture. You can destroy it in your life. And so the festival of lights, Hanukkah and Christmas. It is time for us to get lit of flame again by the light of the Messiah and through the power of the Holy Ghost. I want to say that again. It is time during this season to get lit of flame again. Lit a flame in the light of the Messiah. Lit a flame through the power of the Holy Ghost. To be lit a flame to be defiant unto your flesh and say, I shall not serve you. In closing up today, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship. No fellowship. This isn't like, oh, I have fellowship sometimes and then have fellowship more with something. It says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather expose them. Have no fellowship. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by people in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So a call... A call to be defiant to the darkness. A call to be defiant to the mass culture. And I'm calling forth for, for us in this church to step into a place of true holy defiance. And the defiance will be not being a jerk to people. The defiance will be is to be lit aflame. By the presence of God. Go to the next slide, please. Light yourself on fire with passion. And people will come for miles to watch you burn. John Wesley. Why don't we stand? Father, I pray right now that we would be a people who are willing to be lit aflame by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
A people who step into holy defiance. It says, I shall learn from the festival of dedication, and I shall learn from the story and the festival of the birth of Jesus. That we are called to be the light in the darkness. That we're called to defy darkness. And when our culture is dark, it just makes the light even more pronounced. And I know, I know that there's people here like, I want to burn. Dave, I want to be lit aflame, but it's just not happening. And I'm, I'm discouraged. And I'm not there yet. I can't be a Paul the Apostle. I can't be a Billy Graham. I can't be a John Wesley. I just don't have it in me. The first thing that we need to establish as a church and as a body is that that is a lie. You were called to walk in that type of authority. The second thing that we need to learn is how does a fire become a bonfire? How does a fire become a bonfire? It needs fuel. What does it need? It needs timber. But what kind of timber does it need? It doesn't, it can't have green timber. It can't have timber which is alive. It needs to have dead timber. The driest of wood burns the brightest. It's a people like, I'm so dry, Lord. I need your presence. I need the fire of God. It lights up, man. But when you build a fire, when you build a fire, right, you can't just get a little flame going and throw a big old log on it. If you do, it goes away. It's gone. If you want to to see a flame of God burn in in your life, you really need these two things. You need the small things to go on the fire. So many of us just like, Holy Ghost, come and drop a big old fire in my lap. I'm telling you, the way to build a fire is you got to take the small things first. You got to take the subtle little things and you, you lay it down on the little flame and then that little kindling gets a little brighter. And then you get a little larger things and you put the little larger things on there. And then eventually the fire is burning so bright that logs can be put on top of it. And what that means is you need to put the little things that need to die in the flesh on the fire, not the big things yet. The little thing. Ah, I, I really want to watch a movie now. I'm not going to watch a movie now. I want to get into the scriptures right now. It's just a small little thing. And now the flame. Ah, this person is really annoying me. And, and they're, they're criticizing me. And they're, they're defaming me. I really want to talk back. And I really want to defend myself. But I'm going to defy the flesh. And I'm going to open not up my mouth right now. Because it's not the right time. You put that on. And before you know it. The things that were giving you problems in the past. The big stuff. The strongholds. The high thoughts. Man, there's like. They catch a flame. Amen? And this has a pr- profound effect. A profound effect on the world. And I leave us really with this. Next slide. And last slide. Uh, one more, I'm sorry. One behind. 
When you can't make them see the light, make them feel the heat. Hey, I shared a gospel with someone, and they can't see it. They don't want it. It's okay. I want to let you feel my flame for a little bit. I'll let you feel the flame of the power of the gospel in my life a little bit. When you feel that flame, you feel its warmth. And you got to just come by the fire because it's cold and dark out there. And they're like, oh, what is this? I now feel the heat. And by feeling the heat, you can see the light. So Lord, I pray, let us be a people who are lit a flame. Who are lit a flame by the flame of defiance. That would be bold and open in resistance to the power of sin. And open and disobedient to the spirit of the age. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's just let's just corporately right now play and worship. Come on, I, I gotta be honest. I like Christmas Starbucks blend. I really like it. And it's good. And I love it's a wonderful life. And I love a Christmas story. I love these movies. They're, they're beautiful and they're good things. And that coffee tastes really good. But we can't allow those things to define the message of the gospel, right? We can't allow it to just be demeaned to that in our life. And so I just want to make a call right now. A call to be a holy and defiant people to the world.